Attention Patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall, to the show. And I want to say a special hello to those of you who support the Chris Ann Hall Show on a daily basis, those of you who support us on YouTube and on social media, We are ever grateful for the grassroots fire for truth and for liberty that comes from our listeners. And so just a special thank you today. Over the weekend, uh, JC, the um, YouTube decided that our special show on Mother's Day was was too offensive for some viewers and uh, uh, tagged it. I, I don't even understand that. They tag all of our shows. The AI tags all of our shows. But then I always click the button, request manual review, and then they overturn it. But the manual review for our, our Liberty Mothers show determined that it was offensive to, um, to some viewers, and so they limited our distribution of that show, which is really annoying. So anyway, apparently history about founding mothers and liberty is offensive to some people and that's why we don't teach it in our schools anymore right we can't we can't be offending people and our sons and daughters will never know about these amazing women because i don't know truth is overridden by uh what is that called? Political correctness. Which brings up the first article that I wanted to talk about today. This is a quick one. Harvard has let go of the first uh, African-American faculty deans in Harvard's history. And the reason they let them go is because Mr. Sullivan, the Harvard uh, dean, uh, agreed to represent Harvey Weinstein in the Hollywood producer in his criminal case. And apparently that outraged the students at uh, Harvard and they expressed dismay saying that the decision to represent a person accused of abusing women disqualified Mr. Sullivan from serving in a role of support and mentorship to students. So apparently Harvard does not have a law school worth its salt so that it can take this as a teaching moment and teach their students that, hey, in America, everybody is innocent until proven guilty and everybody has a right to an attorney. And, And not a single faculty member, 
Not a single law professor stood up and said, you know, this is a great teaching moment. We shouldn't be teaching our students that the tyranny of democracy overrides somebody's rights. What they're saying is, is that because, you know, because Harvey Weinstein is not a, a, a person that we like, he shouldn't have the best representation that he can get. So apparently Harvard has forgotten that one of their graduates represented the British soldiers in the trial for the Boston Massacre, which is John Adams, by the way. John Adams graduated from Harvard University, and he represented the British soldiers in their criminal case in the American, uh, well, I guess in the colonies at that time, uh, for their role in the Boston Massacre. So I, I just don't understand how you can have Harvard Law School, which is supposed to be the elitist of elitist of, of law schools, Harvard University, Ivy League University, that doesn't take this kind of moment and make it a teaching moment. I just I, if you you if you carry this logic to its conclusion, you really can't win for losing, right? Because pretty much every single attorney who defends anyone, right? Because anyone being defended is accused of a crime. Right, exactly. So by and not only lefty logic, but a lot of conservatives I hear the same kind of thing. So any anybody doing that is defending a criminal. Remember you're not mm -hmm. a criminal until you're actually convicted. Convicted of a right? crime. You're but, accused but, of a but crime. But that's how statists think. Mm -hmm. So then anybody defending anyone, any lawyer defending anyone, right, you'd be a bad guy. Um, it, but then you also hear the prosecutors are bad guys, right, because we have to hate cops, we have to hate uh, prosecution, and mm -hmm. so anybody defending, anybody prosecuting, you know, say women or minorities, you're a bad guy. So right. it really leaves a very, very small small sliver where you know you have even a legitimate uh, a, you're you're involved in any kind of legitimate action well which which but in this case degrades, this is like you said political correctness right because mr weinstein is an undesirable person right there you go. right it's a good term he's an undesirable person so he, is. he does right but that doesn't mean he does not have a right to a counsel right he doesn't have the right to the counsel that he chooses or mm -hmm. can afford. No, I, I think this is good. I think, like you said, this is a great teaching moment, particularly in the sense of, uh, you know, hey, this is this is a great, you know, you could say, hey, this is a great example of of how we ought to think and how we ought to act because this guy is an absolute low life, and so this right. is a reminder that even even the worst are entitled to justice, therefore we're all entitled to justice, right? Because because we protect offensive, offensive speech, mm -hmm. then all speech is protected. Because we defend the worst among us, you know, uh, in law, then we're all defended, right? I yeah. mean, that's that's the whole essence of it. We ha When you say a lot, you have to defend the liberty of your enemy if you want your own liberty defended. That right. That's the system that we have. It's let the rule of law, you know, work out the process. Let let it let it play out. I mean that right. that's how we do it. Yeah, and and to see Harvard then deny this opportunity to bring this teaching moment to their students 
and not only not bring the teaching moment to their students, but then to actually give in to the tyranny of majority yeah. in it, this case. And it's not about, a trial is not about about the attorney. Right. Right, because you'd have to say, okay, then every attorney who, I mean, think about public defenders. I mean, right. public defenders defend people who can't afford uh, to, to pay for their own attorney. That's that's the idea of, of the uh of the system. Okay. So if you follow this logic, which, which they're doing, because they're essentially saying this attorney is bad because the guy is defending is mm-hmm. bad. So you'd have to say every public defender, when he defenders defends, you know, drunk driving, right. Oh, this public defender believes in drunk driving, uh, manslaughter, murder, rape, robbery, right. whatever. Oh, this lawyer, he believes in rape. This lawyer, he believes in robbery. This lawyer, he believes in murder. No, no, he's doing his job. So well, no, the weird he's, thing is he's doing a service to the the due process of America. Right, but, I mean, but it's guilt of, by association, I guess, right. is what I'm saying. They're saying they're equating this attorney just because he's defending, the, like he's doing a job, he's providing the service mm-hmm. that this guy pays for, that he has to agree. Remember, we talked to uh, fr- our friend that worked in a public defender's yeah, see, office and, long and that's ago. The point remember that when I'm you gonna, asked him yeah. when you were a young attorney, yeah. first coming in, and you kind of. Had, mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking along these same lines of not, you know, you're guilty by association, mm-hmm. but how do you how do you deal with it? How do you reconcile defending the worst among us? And, and remember what he said? Yeah, absolutely. Which was, <coughs> excuse me, going to be my point to begin with. These pro, these public defenders are not doing a job. Right. They're not they're not doing what they're being paid to do. What he told me was. I am here to ensure that his rights are not violated. Right. He may be guilty. I may believe he is guilty to the utmost degree. I might actually believe that he deserves the worst of all punishments. Yeah. But it is my job to be a defender of everyone's rights. And if his rights are not defended, he told me, then no one's are. Yeah, he's just, he was essentially saying, my job is not necessarily to defend him. My job is to defend the Constitution. This, right. this is how it works. Right. This is this is how natural law. This is how constitutional rights. You know, it's how it's supposed to work. That's yeah. what we're defending. That's right. This is how the Constitution is supposed to work. So it's it's, and, it's and another now, example of how that sort of millennial thinking. Right. So it's it's no surprise to me, JC, that all these these millennials trained to be snowflakes have no clue about our constitution, about how it's supposed to work. Because we have two two missed opportunities right here at Harvard. Number one, the obvious missed opportunity of, hey, this is where you're wrong, and this is where Mr. Sullivan, we're proud to have Mr. Sullivan as a dean of our school. We're proud to have someone who protects, who, who believes so wholly in the protection of people's rights that he's willing to stand up and defend and, and help in the defense of someone who, who is undesirable. But JC, the second missed lesson here is that they're actually reinforcing this millennial ideology that we can censor people, that we can control speech, we can control the rights of others when we don't like those people. And they're hurting themselves. Yeah. You know, by the same token, they're, they're hurting themselves because... What basically you you know they're establishing that precedent. They're 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 building this culture, this mentality. So when God forbid one of them is is wrongly accused of a heinous crime, right? Then the public will not allow them to get proper right 
uh, representation. Right. Well, and, Thomas Paine made made his uh, famous quote. He said that, uh, and I don't, I'm not, I don't have this one memorized, but he said that uh, if our rights to be secure, we must secure even the rights of our enemies. This avidity to punish, he says, will allow men to warp even the best laws, and that the precedent that you set for your enemy is the precedent yeah. that will come to you. Status philosophy is always suicidal. Yes. It always you're always hurting yourself. And then the, the other thing I thought about, these are supposed to be the smartest among us. This is yeah. Harvard. Yeah. So when the smartest among us are this ignorant, how bad how bad off are we? Well, I'm glad that we are seeing a uh, a wave of liberty men, uh, millennials rising in America. As we travel and teach, we see them wherever we go. So do not do not lose hope. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. <laughs> forgot to unmute my mic there. Uh, we, we have a very uh, important issue that I think uh, because of the complexity of the issue, JC, some people might pass it over. But the reason that I want to talk about this today is because people always ask me wherever we go, JC, how did we get where we are? How did this happen? How did we get to the place where the Constitution is not understood, where the Constitution is not applied, where the Constitution is not followed? And this, this case is, I believe, one of those things that, that Thomas Jefferson would say, hey, look, 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 this is what's happening. This is how it works. And what I'm talking about is the Apple case. So you, you see it now, it's politicized as Kavanaugh sides with the liberal justices against Apple, excuse me, against Apple. Now, we're not surprised that Kavanaugh is siding with the liberal justices. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we called this from the get-go. Sure. We, we you know, I, I don't understand this. And, and, we, and you know, JC, I'm still seeing uh, people who are conservatives, mostly the Trump-supporting conservatives, who are upset at the people criticizing Kavanaugh for this, you know, siding with these liberal justices. Well, that's always going to be that way. So, yeah. So anyway. I mean, that's just another group you got to reach. <laughs> that's, right. That's a group that can't think and can't reason. Right. And, and they, they're not guided by liberty principles. That's, uh, you know, that's personality and tribe. So just because Kavanaugh has Trump's stamp on him, which Trump didn't pick the guy. I mean, come on. That, Do we really think that, that Donald <laughs> Trump knew anything about Brett Kavanaugh? Oh, uh, yeah, but but now you just you messed up all the Q theories. Oh, and, you know. all right. Well, whatever. So there you go. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. always, remember, that's the philosophy of, you know, is always this, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Bobby Fisher, 10 steps ahead, <laughs> chess master level, something else is going Please. on. Please. Uh, whereas, that, a, as a reminder... <laughs> We did several shows where you laid out Kavanaugh's history. You talked about Kavanaugh's um, uh, record in the appeals court. Mm -hmm. and, 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 of course, I think, you know, 
conservative versus liberal, that characterization is a little off, a little sort of off kilter. The, the, I, but you could look at his history and say he he cited 95, I think it was 95 percent. It was it was like really, really high. Ninety five percent with the, what they characterize as liberal judges in the appeals court. Right. I would say, as you said before, there are several areas where Kavanaugh will side will not side with the Constitution. And he's typically driven by precedent. Now, this is surprising because he, he, he went against precedent. They yeah. all went against precedent. Well, and, and that's the thing. But no surprise that he's not, you know, He's on, not Wade Gorsuch. He's not, yeah. He doesn't line up with principles of liberty. I mean, that's pretty much the bottom line. All right, so this case uh, regarding Apple has to do with antitrust laws. Now, I, I just want to say from the two things from the get-go, from the very, very beginning. Number one, uh, the Constitution does not author, authorize Congress, the President, or the judiciary to have anything to do with, number one, uh, uh, monopolies. There is no authorization for for our federal government to control monopolies. There is absolutely not only is there no no authority for Congress or the judiciary to involve themselves in contracts. Mm -hmm. There was specific specific discussion during the creation of our constitution and the federal government on how do we keep the federal government out of the business of contracts. So antitrust laws fail on two things. Okay. So this is not even some, and and I believe this is why you have all this confusion because in this entire opinion, both written by Kavanaugh and the dissent written by Gorsuch, can I tell you that the constitution is not referenced one single time? By the way, not one single time. Just, just as an aside, um, if if the um, uh, Trump Jesus followers are always saying how he's ten steps ahead and there's some secret plan, why did he? Uh, why did Trump nominate two justices that are always on opposite sides? Yeah, explain that to me. Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are always basically one writes the the lead one opinion, the other writes the, other. the dissent. It's right, crazy. right, right. They undo each other. The other thing that I want to talk about is uh, what I want to set off from the get-go is this is not a case about monopolies, all right? So it is not the Supreme Court determining whether Apple is a monopoly or not, and we're not even going to be discussing the issues of monopoly. As arrogant men tear up our constitution And from every direction we cry around Can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here. We're talking about this case. My husband and co-host, J.C. Hall, with me. We're talking about this case about how Kavanaugh and the liberal justices have uh, sided against Apple in an antitrust case. And before the break, I said we're not going to be talking about the issue of monopolies, only the fact that Congress has no authority over monopolies. And the reason, J.C., we're not talking about monopolies is I have discovered in my research on this case that I have very, very strong feelings about the government being involved in monopolies at all. By the I, way, I like how you said liberal justice sided. You didn't say Kavanaugh and the liberal justices. 
because oh. then you'd be repeating yourself. Yeah. Yeah, right. So uh, I'm not going to open up that can of worms. I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, I don't, there is no authorization for Congress to be involved in monopolies. Government shouldn't even be determining the definitions of monopolies and actually being inserted in them because I have discovered that, that nine times out of 10, it has to do with contract law, which completely precludes federal involvement at all. So let's talk about so what... So it should be state, handled at the state. Handled yeah. at the state level, right. And, and I think the state governments should stay out of it as well. So this is uh, Apple Inc. v. Pepper et al. And here's, here's what we have to understand because we have to... I, this, is a t- this is the Chris Ann Hall teach show part. Okay, so this is a very kind of convoluted case. I'm going to try to bring it to the bare bones here so we can get keep it simple keep it simple. So we know know why this is such an important case. I mean, seriously, JC, there have been very few cases as important as this one because it changes. It changes the trajectory of where the courts. It's not. just. Oh, my goodness, JC. It's not just the trajectory. It is absolutely amazing. It flips it, right? It, it, It. the expansion of judicial power mm-hmm. in this one flip of precedent is, is I mean, it gives me goosebumps on how scary it actually is. So here's the premise for this. Apple sells apps for the iPhone to iPhone owners through the app store, okay? Right. Now, app developers make the apps they rent their space on the App Store site mm-hmm. uh, for $99 annual fee. Uh, Apple requires that the retail sales price end in a .99. Okay. And Apple says, uh, because you are selling on our platform, we are going to charge you a 30% commission on every app you sell. Mm-hmm. So app Apple keeps thirty percent of of everything that it is now. But Apple doesn't set the price. Apple does not set the price. So if the app is a I don't want to say ninety nine cent thing. If, if the app is a dollar, they get thirty cent, and the developer gets seventy cent for every one. Right. Exactly. So if no. so, like let's say they sold a million dollars worth. I'm not a math guy. Would yeah. that be like thirty thousand? Yeah. Is that right? 30,000 to... Don't ask me to, I didn't okay. do the math yet on this either. I'd but, have to get my calculator. Yeah. Nonetheless, okay, so you, this is a very good point, JC. The app developer sets the price and the relationship between Apple and the app developer is contractual. These are the two things that you need to understand to understand why this case is important. Apple does not set the price. Right. The app developer sets the price and the relationship between the app developer and apple is by contract okay just, just as an aside because I, tr- I was trying to i don't want to get too off in the weeds i was trying to gauge the like the level of the the reasonableness of whatever 30 percent isn't that like the eminent domain isn't that set like the lawyer gets 30 percent in the eminent domain or is that 20 uh, the, 30, they, they have like actually 30 percent uh, uh if you're if you're operating um by contingency, thirty uh-huh. percent is a standard. So it's pretty. This is a pretty typical it's, commission. It's not like a. Level it's not commission. an atypical commission. Okay. Okay. So, Apple says uh, that the precedent Illinois Brick. Okay. So there's a case at Illinois Brick that says 
if you're going to sue someone for antitrust laws, they have to have a direct relationship. So the buyer and the seller. Seller. The buyer seller. Not a third party. Not a third party. Storefront operator. Storefront operator. That's that's very good analogy because that's where we're going to get at. So this is the precedent for antitrust. If you're going to sue someone for monopolistic activity for damages, money damages for for price gouging, as it were, mm-hmm. right? You can only sue the seller because there has to be a direct relationship between the buyer and the seller. And and Gorsuch says this in very detail, in, in great detail in the dissent. If you get beyond that secondary relationship, then, then the math gets way too complicated. So if it's... Uh, you said price gouging. Always being from Florida, I think of hurricanes, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they, you know, water and ice and whatnot when hurricanes. So yeah. I think, so if I'm let's let's just this scenario, I'm the I'm a store owner, mm-hmm. okay, and then outside the store is those ice machines, you know, the ice case mm-hmm. you can go get the ice. Let's say I'm not the one selling ice. Some vendor owns that case, stocks it, whatever. I just charge him, you know, say. Actually, let me fix this. I charge him to ha- have have that there. Let me fix this for you. There. To make it easier. The guy who puts the ice machine up, who's selling the ice, right. he puts it on a piece of property yeah. from which he rents right, the right. property. Yeah, yeah. The landlord charges him a rent Correct. for that property. Right. The ice guy passes on the cost of the rent to the buyer. Yeah. The buyer, in this case, would, if we're following this analogy, the buyer would then sue the landlord for... Uh, overpricing the property, which that, drives up the cost of that, the ice. That's like that. So, so then the precedent would say, no, you can't do that. Yeah. If if the if the ice is too high, you got to sue the guy setting Selling the price ice. on the ice. Setting the price on the okay. ice. Right. So in this case, you have people who they don't want to. They're, they 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 want to sue Apple, which is like the landlord. Mm-hmm. Instead of the app developer who actually sets the price on the app. Yeah. So in this okay. argument now between the majority court, Kavanaugh writing, and the dissent of Gorsuch, you really have Gorsuch telling us that the majority court is lying about the principle of the precedent that's been set. And, they're, and he's, he says they're creating a very bad rule. What I find in, interesting is that, that the majority court in this is all writing not based on the facts of the precedent, but they, they create a moralistic argument. And they actually say, we decline to green light monopolistic retailers to exploit their market position in that way. We refuse to rubber stand such a blatant invasion of statutory text and judicial precedent. When Gorsuch points out that they're actually overturning the precedent for, uh, and, and, and they're actually assigning mo- a monopoly to the name of Apple without actually engaging in the due process of determining whether mon- Apple is really a monopoly or not. Mm-hmm. So there, once again, what we have is that, activist judi- judges here that, drawing that it, conclusions. Yeah, and that is funny since they didn't technically rule on the merits of the case, no. but in fact they already established a judgment yes. on the merits of the case because in, in the uh, majority opinion's writing, they're already going ahead and saying... Apple is a monopoly. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's a pre. So that's funny because I was reading re- reason on reason. They uh-huh. had an article about it, 
and they said, well, they didn't, they didn't, this was not about, they didn't rule on the merits of the case, which mm -hmm. technically that's true. Right. But in fact, within the opinion, they sort of did. Yeah. So, so ruling on the merits, merits of the case, uh, we would, we would accurately say holding on the merits of the case, because right. we know courts don't issue rulings. Holding on the merits of the case would be to say that, yes, Apple's, Apple's guilty. Guilty, right? But they didn't hold on the merits of the case. They merely said we can the the plaintiffs can sue Apple. Uh, we're going to set aside this precedent that we've established for forty years, and we're going to now allow third party people to sue landlords. Basically, how that works. So they're they're suing. So Apple Apple's not the one setting the price. No, but they're saying and, and pr uh, precedent said. You can't sue them. You yeah. got to sue the actual seller. Right. So the seller, saying, the buyer should be suing the app guys. Yeah, and then the app think. guys would sue Apple because they thought that Apple was mono uh, monopolistically in the trapping us in the store. Right. So here is Gorsuch's dissent. And this is where we really start to understand why, uh, why the majority opinion is really wrong. He says, more than 40 years ago in Illinois Brick Company v. Illinois, this court held that an antitrust plaintiff cannot sue a defendant for overcharging someone else who might or might not have passed on all or some of the overcharge to him. Illinois Brick held that these, these convoluted pass-on theories of damages violate traditional principles of proximate causation and that the right plaintiff to bring suit is the one on whom the overcharge immediately and surely fell. Now, I do want to point out something here sort of on the side note. Mm -hmm. I have read thousands of court cases, JC. Never once have I heard the court refer to its own decisions as rulings just like they do they say we held right so it's mm -hmm. the american people the courts don't even believe they issue rulings just so we go there he says yet today the court lets a pass on case proceed it does so by recasting illinois brick as a rule forbidding only suits where the plaintiff does not contract directly with the defendant this replaces a rule of proximate cause and economic reality with an easily manipulated and formalistic rule of contractual privity. That's not how antitrust law is supposed to work, he says, and it's an uncharitable way of treating a precedent which, whatever flaws it has, is more sensible than the rule the court itself installs. And so basically what we're doing here, and this is, this is, this is an important line of what, what he says, let me find that quote real quick. He says, um, this exalts form over substance. Instead of focusing on the traditional proximate cause question where the alleged overcharge is first and thus surely felt, the court's test turns on who happens to be in privity of contract with whom. We've long recognized that antitrust laws should look at the economic reality of the relevant transaction rather than the formal conceptions of contract law. So big thing, number one, the court has now written itself into every contract that deals in the market of commerce. This precedent now allows the courts to become the deciders of every contract. And when we get back from the break, I'm going to show you just how big this actually is.
Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. We're going to finish up this Apple case because this is really important. What we have now is whoops, Gorsuch telling us that we now have the Supreme Court writing itself into every single contract written in the United States. This is a huge expansion of power, but look how deep it goes, JC. Now, he says, with this change in precedent, the courts will now be able to determine complicated, uh, they will now be wrestling with complicated theories. They will now be dealing with market. They will decide and determine market variables, the behavior of market variables, whether those behaving market of market variables are equitable or not, whether people are charging the right things or not charging the right things. And, uh, he says, Will the court hear testimony to determine the market power of each app developer, how each sets its prices and what it might have charged consumers for apps if Apple's commission had been lower? Will the court also consider expert testimony analyzing how market factors might have influenced developers' capacity and willingness to pass on Apple's alleged monopoly overcharge? And will then the court then somehow extrapolate its findings to all of the tens of thousands of developers who sold apps through the App Store at different prices and times over the course of years? So they really, the Supreme Court is almost now a I don't like a market overlords. Like, I mean, you, you now have to think about, am I pricing my, my uh, item in, at a price point that the court will approve of? Yes. And, and, you know, now the court is saying, well, if anybody thinks, you know, they don't like your price, then they, anybody can sue. Then they can't. And that's, that's to me, that's the big part about this mm-hmm. that before you know, a court would say, you can't just sue some random down the line, right. uh, you know, producer in the process mm-hmm. because you think the price is too high and it's their fault. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be direct. It's got to be you imagine how many people, and this is what Gorgeous says, how many people will draw be drawn into a case now? You can sue it's the crazy. landlord. You can sue the guy who's charging you electricity. You can sue the guy who's charging for water. And here's the thing. The limit of the plaintiffs is not necessarily a limit on who can sue who, but who the court has jurisdiction over. Yeah. This is a huge and ginormous expansion of ju- of court jurisdiction. Not only that, it's like you said, not only is now the jurisdiction of the court over the people, the jurisdiction of the court is over the market itself. The court will determine market reasonable prices. You know, I, I always, so the one thing I don't, the, the the one group I guess I trust uh, least is the bar association <laughs> and their manipulations because yeah. I, I I and 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 together this is what often it seems to me they often work together with the insurance mm-hmm. yeah uh, sector so this is this is what this is where my mind went when I hear this like what's the solution what do what do producers do what do we do in the market so this almost seems to me it opens up an insurance market, right? Because now if you're a producer and you have to think about all these, like you can get sued by anybody, anything right. down the line. Like you think, 
of all the things that go into get this. antitrust insurance exactly mm-hmm. so I don't know, maybe that's they have what i'm insurance. thinking when these bizarre things come up when they make decisions like this i'm always thinking how do the lawyers benefit and then and then by extension what sort well, of was, insurance benef- is there ben- benefit yeah, to the insurance industry? when i when i read gorsuch's dissent and read the majority opinion the question in my mind jc was this why why? Because we know Kavanaugh is married to precedent, so it'd have to be something really big yeah. for him to overturn precedent. And my thought was, why? What is the benefit of overturning this precedent? The only Certainly. thing that goes, that that uh, Kavanaugh loves more than precedent is judicial power. Well, I and, tell you, and this is what this is. That now that means the lobbyists that, I mean, was, who have control over the judiciary now rule the market. Yeah. Because we know that we know that the Supreme Court justices have market interests. They have investments. They are controlled by by many corporations. So if you have the pocket of the of a justice, now you control the market. Well, I thank you for explaining this case because as I was reading everything, it seemed very convoluted. And uh, you know, this is something that's important, and it's weird how they make they seem to make it so complicated and convoluted mm-hmm. when in fact it, it seems very impactful. It is incredibly impactful. And Jefferson said, the great object of my fear is the federal judiciary. That body, like gravity, ever acting with noiseless foot and unalarming advance, gaining ground step by step. Go read Jefferson's quote on the judiciary. It describes America today.